Chapter 15 The Story of Cole Younger by Himself This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Chasing Cotton Thieves In the fall of 1863, in the absence of Captain Jarrett, who had rejoined Shelby's command, I became at 19 captain of the company. Joe Lee was first lieutenant, and Lon Rayleigh second lieutenant. When Captain Jarrett came north again, I again became lieutenant, but when Captains Jarrett and Poole reported to General Shelby on the Red River, they were sent into Louisiana, and I again became captain of the company, so reporting to General Henry E. McCullough in command of northern Texas at Bonham. All my orders on the commissary and quartermaster's departments were signed by me as Captain C.S.A. and duly honored. Around Bonham, I did scout service for General McCullough, and in November, he sent me with a very flattering letter to report to General E. Kirby Smith at Shreveport, Louisiana, the headquarters of the Trans-Mississippi Department. Captains Jared and Poole were at Shreveport, and General Smith gave us minute orders for a campaign against the cotton thieves and speculators who infested the Mississippi River bottom. An expedition to get rid of these was planned by General Smith, with Captain Poole commanding one company, myself the other, and Captain Jared over us both. Five miles from Tester's Ferry, on Bayou Macon, we met a cotton train convoyed by fifty cavalry. We charged them on sight. The convoy got away with ten survivors, but every driver was shot, and four cotton buyers who were close behind in an ambulance were hung in a cotton gin near at hand. They had a hundred and eighty thousand on them, with which the cotton and wagons was sent back to Bastrop in charge of Lieutenant Greenwood. A more exciting experience was mine at Bayou Monticello, a stream that was deeper than it looked. Observing a cotton train on a plantation across the bayou, I called to my men to follow me and plunged in. Seeing me floundering in deep water, however, they went higher up to a bridge, and when I landed, I found myself alone. I was hard-pressed for a time, till they came up and relieved me. There were fifty-two soldiers killed here. Other charges near Goodrich's Landing and Omega put an end to the cotton speculation in that locality. The Confederate Army in that section was not well armed and our company, each man with a pair of dragoon pistols and a sharps rifle, was the envy of the Southern Army. General Kirby Smith told me he had not seen during the war a band so well armed. Consequently, when in February 1864, General Marmaduke sent to General Shelby for an officer and forty of the best-mounted and best-armed men he had, it was but natural that Shelby's adjutant general, John N. Edwards, should recommend a part of the Missouri boys, and told me to select my men and report to General Shelby who in turn ordered me to report for special service to General Marmaduke at Warren, Arkansas. Only twenty, and a beardless boy. General Marmaduke looked me over rather dubiously, as I thought, but finally told me what he wanted, to find out whether or not it was true that General Steele at Little Rock was preparing to move against Price at Camden, and to make the grand round of the picket post from Warren to the Mississippi River, up the Arkansas to Pine Bluff and Little Rock, and returning by way of the western outpost at Hot Springs. We were to intercept all messages between Price and Marmaduke and govern our movements by their contents. About halfway between Pine Bluff and Little Rock, we came up with a train of wagons, followed by an ambulance carrying several women and accompanied by mounted Federal soldiers. The soldiers got away into Pine Bluff, but we captured the wagons and ambulance, but finding nothing of importance, let them proceed. We made a thorough examination of the interior of Little Rock and satisfied ourselves that no movement on Price was imminent and were on our way out before we became involved in a little shooting match with the patrol from which no harm resulted to our side, however, except a shot in my leg. Years afterward in prison, I learned from Senator Cushman Kellogg Davis of Minnesota that he was one of the officers who galloped into Pine Bluff ahead of us that day. 
He was at the time on the staff of the Judge Advocate General, and they were on their way into Pine Bluff to hold a court-martial. The women were, as they had said, the wives of some of the officers. Senator Davis was among the prominent Minnesotans who worked for our parole, although he did not live to see it accomplished. End of chapter 15